Hello, and welcome to One Real Good Thing, where we dive into one thing you can do today to propel your life in a healthy direction. I'm your host, Ellie Krieger. Instead of thinking of vegetables as a side dish, move them to the center of the plate and make them the star. That way, they'll be so irresistibly delicious that eating them becomes something you want to do rather than something you ought to do. My guest today is Priyanka Nike. She's just the person to inspire us to make that happen with easy, tasty ideas. She is a self-taught Indian vegan award-winning chef, Food Network champion, TV personality, author of The Modern Tiffin Cookbook, and columnist for The Washington Post. An avid traveler, she offers her globally inspired original recipes with a focus on sustainability that delight vegetarians and omnivores alike. Chef Priya Nike, it is so good to have you here. Thanks for being with us today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited. I love watching you on television. I love watching all that you do. I love reading your Washington Post's column. I love reading your blog. Like you just infuse the room with energy and it just excites me. And I just love your food and your new cookbook, The Modern Tiffin, is just super inspiring. Thank you so much. I I hope all of those mediums in which I communicate really kind of help people to get to know me better. So it's really happy to hear that you like my energy. I so do. And um, I I also was fortunate enough to get to meet you at our friend's um, pop-up dinner. That was fun. And so it was nice to hang out with you as well and good to hang out with you here. And I really am excited about this topic. So your one good thing, one real good thing is make vegetables the star. And I, this is like near and dear to me because I talk about vegetables all the time on this show. I mean, I feel like in a way I'm a vegetable marketer. I'm a dietitian. I'm a chef, but my, one of my main goals in life is just marketing vegetables to people. And I joke that I'm a vegetable marketer, which I kind of am. Right. Um, but really most people, if they ate more vegetables, they'd be so much healthier in general. And you, you're a vegan chef. Um, you were. Uh, raised in Staten Island. I'm a borough girl too. I'm from Queens. <laughs> um, and you you are from Indian heritage. And so you really come with all of this wonderful vegetable stardom to bring to the plate. And it's one of the things that I read on your blog that you really encourage people to do is to make vegetables the star. And it really is one way to make it like so that you don't should eat your vegetables or, oh, I have to eat my vegetables, but you want to, they're the main event. So tell us what that means to you. Like why make vegetables the star and how do you go about doing that? And how do you encourage people to do that? Yeah. So I I do love this topic because I think it really embodies my philosophy around food and cooking and what I really strive to educate people on. And I I grew up first generation Indian, as you mentioned, and, you know, at home, we grew up vegetarian and if not vegan many times by default, and there was never any meat at the table or seafood. And I, you know, just couldn't understand why in kind of most other homes in, in this country, particularly in America, that it was such a struggle to eat vegetables when I literally ate like multiple vegetables in one sitting um, every day growing up. And so what I came to realize is 
if we dismantle the perspective on what I call the Western plate, which is this three-segmented plate where in the center you have a non-veg item, like a quote-unquote protein. So it would be like a steak or chicken or fish, whatever it may be. And then on the side, you have a carb. And on the other side, you have a vegetable. So like both things kind of as afterthoughts and both things just included on the plate to quote unquote balance the dish. So I never grew up eating in that manner. Um, And having now traveled to 40 countries globally, I noticed that most other cultures don't either. I, I found that it was a very Western way of thinking about that plate. And when I say Western, I mean... European, like English, American, that type. And so when you dismantle that perspective on this sort of restrictive three-segmented plate, then your entire horizon opens up for what can be deemed as a meal, right? So that vegetable that was once on the side, that was probably like some gross steamed broccoli, which I even wouldn't eat steamed broccoli. Uh, I like like steamed broccoli, but we can talk about that later. But I I see where you're going. (laughs) Yeah, but- that, you know, once side dish that was deemed kind of just like, oh, I have to eat this because I need something green can now become the center of the plate and the star of the show. And so through my cooking style and my recipes, I strive to educate people and kind of show them this perspective on eating versus what they may be used to. Yeah. And I think what's important here to note, because I just really want to throw this out there. So you're vegan. I have, you know, vegan, vegetarian friends, vegan, vegetarian um, listeners, but I'm an omnivore and this isn't about meat is bad or seafood's bad or any of this is bad. It's more about just shifting a mentality more toward vegetables. So in a way, you know, I mean, personally, I like to make vegetables the star and put most of my culinary attention toward that. And then the protein can be the side dish, actually. So even if you wanted to keep your sort of three-segmented plate, maybe just move the vegetables to the center of it and move the other things, the starch and the and the meat or whatever, to the side. And that actually is a healthier balanced plate. Um, and the my plate, the government my plate actually kind of strives to do that, I think. Um, so this isn't about not eating meat. I just want to make that clear for everybody who's like, you know, thinking that maybe, you know, thinking that it's in that direction. It's more about celebrating vegetables. And when you do that, they become the most exciting thing there. And then you want to eat them. And and I think in the Indian culture, um, particularly because um, Hindu is a vegetarian religion? Would you say that's a vegetarian religion? I don't know if, that, yeah, if that's the right no, wording. That's a, that's a good question. So uh, Hinduism, which uh, I'm Hindu, but it is it is less of a religion and more of a spiritual belief system and philosophy. And some of the core philosophies around Hinduism is to treat every being as you would want to be treated, which is with compassion and respect. And so most Hindus tend to be vegetarian or at least meat-free. But now with kind of the influence of the Western world and a lot of different like restaurants and fast food chains and stuff popping up, things have drastically changed. But for the most part, um, they are vegetarian. I should also caveat this by saying it depends on where you're from in India. And like that's that's the other thing, which is probably for a whole other topic, but like regionally, depending on where you're from, it really um, affects and influences your diet. So if you're from the South, South 
India by the coast, you do tend to eat a lot of seafood, right? Or if you're from a little bit where I'm from, which is like Midwest, kind of central, like Mumbai and a little bit south, um, it is like pure vegetarian. Like no, you know, we weren't even allowed to bring eggs into the house when my grandmother was alive. So like it was very strict in that regard. Um, so it really depends on where you're from, but for the most part, like the foundational like elements and philosophy of Hinduism is to kind of treat every being with respect. So yeah, by that standpoint, people are vegetarian. So for thousands of years, and this is why it particularly fascinates me is because for thousands of years, a cuisine developed mainly around vegetables. And so it really, there's so much to pull from no matter what part of the world you're eating from. And I love in your book how you say, my style of cooking is not just vegetarian or vegan. It's a culmination of my heritage and travels, making for Indian-inspired global dishes. And so I love the sensibility that you have about taking that maybe thousands of years of vegetable inspiration and infusing that into other experiences. So so I just think there's so much value in that. And, and I love how you're doing that. Um, so yeah. I think there's also a lot to be learned from other cultures, which is why I have kind of evolved my cooking style in that way, especially when taking into account, like making vegetables, the star of the show, right? Like if you go to Greece, they eat a lot of eggplant. And when I went there, I would get these like whole eggplant dishes where it's like literally a stuffed eggplant. I love eggplant. I know it gets a bad rep, but it's like a whole stuffed eggplant. And like, that is the main thing. And like, for me, I was in heaven and I'm like, this is a really cool way to, to think about eggplant and eat eggplant because even Indian people, we don't necessarily have a dish where like eggplant is the star. Eggplant could be like its own dish and added to something else or in rice or whatever. But like when I went to Greece, eggplant was the star. And I was like, that's really cool. Like I like their approach to this. Right. So it, part of making vegetables the star in your life is keeping your eyes open to when you go to different restaurants, how are they treating vegetables in the center of the plate, just like eggplant? And I want to meet the people who are saying bad things about eggplant because I don't know them. <laughs> there's a lot There's a lot of eggplant haters out there. I think it's a texture thing because yeah. a lot of people don't know how to cook eggplant yeah. properly. Yeah, so I think that's uh, true. I personally probably didn't know how to cook eggplant properly until I got to be my about my mid 20s and really started experimenting with different dishes. So you, you do have a point there. But I love in your book, in uh, your book, which is again called The Modern Tiffin. And we can explain, I want to explain to people what a tiffin is a little bit in a little bit. Um, but you touch upon Italian tiffin, the American comfort tiffin, the South. Asian tiffin, the Mexican tiffin, the Spanish. So you do pull from all these areas. So let, like, let's just step back into this idea for a minute, pulling from all these influences. How do you suggest people in a very practical way, make vegetables the star? Like, so first of all, you're saying, put them at the center of the plate, disrupt your notion of this meat is the center um, and put vegetables there, or even see meals as more like what bowls or multiple dishes or sea meals in a different way? Yeah. So I think there's, there's about three different tips that I, I would give people to kind of change their perspective on their plate and make vegetables a star. The first is to, and this might be like not as feasible, but it could be very fun is to experiment with a new vegetable every week. And so 
if let's say you don't like eggplant, like this could be a really good way to think about, okay, well, you know, I have an Italian eggplant, I have Japanese eggplant, I have small baby eggplants. Like there's obviously so much variety of this one vegetable, just like with most vegetables. How can I create different dishes out of this one vegetable throughout the week? That way you can understand the versatility of the vegetable if you like it. And also it kind of builds your own repertoire of recipes, right? So if you make one stuffed eggplant dish and you really like it and changes your perspective on eggplant, then you can, you know, keep rotating that recipe into your daily life, right? Um, So I have suggested this in the past to some people and they have actually implemented it. You know, they've focused on cauliflower for one week or broccoli for one week. And maybe by the end of the week, you might be sick of that vegetable. But I think the the challenge here is to expand your horizon on that vegetable. So then you understand the versatility. So then you understand, okay, well, broccoli is not just a side dish. Like it can be a main dish five days a week. And these are all the different ways we can make it. Um, So that's my first tip. That's a great idea. And just to build on that a little bit, I mean, so for example, if it's cauliflower, say, you know, you can, even if you picked three things to do with cauliflower. So I think everything in threes to me seems really attainable for some reason. And and one, you know, you can make, I love the recipe in your book, speaking of cauliflower, of the spice rubbed cauliflower steaks with pistachio and cilantro remolata. So I would, if I was buying cauliflower and playing with it, I would start there perhaps. Um, maybe some cauliflower steaks, like you say. And then even if I wanted, and that could be a meal on its own, it has the nuts in it and and so on for protein. But even if I wanted that with some yogurt drizzled on it, or even if I wanted that with a little side dish of some roasted chicken, I mean, that's a beautiful meal and really healthful meal like that. Um, But going back to the cauliflower, then maybe trying it raw and riced for example. So trying it a different, you know, sometimes I find people, oh, I hate cooked carrots, but I like raw carrots. So I think if even people that don't think they like a vegetable, if they just try it, cook it a different way to your point here, I think then you can get turned onto it. Also, I wanted to bring up one great way to decide what vegetable to pick is go to your farmer's market and buy something that you've never seen before that looks super fresh and exciting. And even ask the farmer who's selling it like, Hey, what do you do with this? I mean, that's how I learned about these um, turnips that my my um, my farmer sells. And then also, if you have kids, when my daughter was little, I would let her pick any vegetable mm-hmm. at the farmer's market. Just go, you pick. And one time she picked a giant stalk of Brussels sprouts all right on the stalk still. And we marched home with it. Kind it kind of like- looks creepy when it's on the <laughs> stalk. <laughs> we marched home with it like we were in a parade, like she was holding a baton. And she and we roasted them and we made a salad with them raw. And she has loved Brussels sprouts ever since. So all of this is just a great way to get other people in your yeah. family excited about vegetables, too. So I used to hate just one funny story with that. I used to hate carrots when I was little. And I think it was because when I was little, little, like my mom would make us eat carrots because she was like, oh, I don't want you getting bad vision like your father but bad vision is hereditary hence my red glasses but she would make me eat these like baby carrots I don't know if they were like boiled or I'm so ill and it was like there was like cheese on it or so I don't know it was like it was like not my cup of tea and I I was the type of kid that like 
would sit at the table, complain about it and like chew it for eight hours, like not eat, like I was not. It's funny that I cook and eat now all the time, but I was like not that great about it. And I didn't like carrots, but the one dish that won me over with carrots and that I love is called sambar, which you might have had. It's a South Indian dish. It's kind of this soupy stew that's like um, paired with idli or dosa, with this, which is like a starch and a, you know, a fermented rice dishes. And in that sambar, there's mixed vegetables and the carrots to me are the best thing. So like anytime my mom makes sambar, I tell her to put extra carrots for me. But like in every other context, I hated carrots. But like that was the one dish that helped me appreciate carrots more. And then now I love carrots. And so it's it's very interesting how one dish can really change your perspective on something. And that applies for all, like not just vegetables. Yeah, totally. I mean, I think having an open mind and seeing taste as something that's a little more fluid and and understanding that different preparations, you know, one of them might hit. <laughs> so um, totally. Yeah. Um, so you also have a really great technique sort of for making vegetables delicious that we had discussed. Um, and it involves spices and sauces and some, and it pulls from your Indian cooking sort of roots. So explain that to us. Yeah. So the other tip that I always have for people, and and honestly, I think this applies for all, but especially vegetables, because vegetables get a bad rep because people think they're boring or bland. Um, I always recommend people to use dry whole spices. So you can literally get these in any grocery store, like Trader Joe's, Whole Foods, etc. I recommend going to an Indian grocery store because they're going to be cheaper. But when you work with dry whole spices, there's a couple things happening. One is you are automatically adding flavor to your dishes without even having to do anything. You don't need to marinate stuff. Like you can literally just saute eggplant, broccoli, Brussels sprouts, whatever it may be, with some whole cumin seeds, like whole red chilies, whole coriander seeds with some oil and garlic. And you have an extremely flavorful dish. The other reason why I recommend whole dry spices is because they contain a lot more flavor and natural oils than the already pre-ground spices. So if you want to grind up the spices, you can, and it'll be that much punchier versus getting something that's already pre-ground and like a little bit stale. So I like to use a mortar and pestle to do that because it really helps um, slowly release the flavors and the oils. And then I just put it into a skillet again with some olive oil or a neutral cooking oil, like grapeseed oil, pop in some aromatics like ginger and garlic and onion and chilies and saute that. And at that point you could put in anything, right? Like you could put in potatoes. You can put in, if you're using something non-veg, you could put non-veg. Um, if you can get some curry leaves, that's another great addition. They're not a dry whole spice. They are fresh, but they add a lot of flavor and they also have a lot of medicinal properties to them too, like most spices and kind of things that we generally cook with in India. So that's, that's a recommendation. Plus it's shelf stable. So like, you don't have to worry about, you know, I do recommend switching them out every six months, but um, it's something, it's a really easy way to make your food taste good with minimal effort. Yeah. I love that idea. And so just even breaking that down more to a very simple thing to do is for me, cumin seed is like a magic ingredient. So if you get cumin seed, and even if you don't like ground cumin, cumin seed tastes different to me. It tastes somehow more, less, oh, I don't know. I don't know how to say it. It tastes a little brighter in a way. Yeah. 
(laughs) So um, even if you just bloom that in a little bit, meaning warm up some oil, put the cumin seed in there and just let it warm through. And then, like you said, you could put some onions in there or not. But if you just then put your vegetable right in there with the cumin seed and oil, salt and pepper, you you're going to have something really beautifully flavorful just starting there. Maybe a squeeze of lemon or something too. Um, And then you can build from there. So you can very much start at the basics and still bring a lot of flavor. Yeah. And another thing you can do also, which is great for meal prep, or if you just want to prepare stuff ahead of time is you can make what we call like gravies or sauces at home. Um, So you make like concentrate my mom I learned this from my mom a lot where she'll make things that might take a little bit longer to cook and simmer like if we um if there's a certain gravy for a dish that you have to make well she'll make it ahead of time and freeze it so like you can take things like those spices we mentioned saute it with um some onion ginger garlic crushed tomatoes some cashews and you basically can make like a thicka masala sauce something to that effect blend it and then once it's cooled down you could freeze it And then you have it available anytime you want to just use it. Um, And you can add in potatoes or cauliflower or meat. You can add in whatever. But considering we want to make vegetables the star, this is also a great way to to use, like, make it ahead of time using what you have and then just pop in your vegetables. I love that idea. And I'm going to, I have to tell you one step further. When I order Indian food, when I order in from my local Indian place, which I love, I always, I, you know, eat whatever's in the sauce. And then I always have a ton of sauce left over and I take that sauce and I freeze it. And then I use it at another time. I just, like you're saying, pop some cauliflower and maybe some chickpeas in it. And I have an amazing meal with some bread or whatever, or rice. And I didn't even have to do anything. And it, and it minimizes waste too, which is one of both of our favorite things, which is another topic entirely, but it minimizes waste. So next time you order Indian food, save those sauces, freeze them and put some vegetables in there. And that's like a no brainer way to make them the star. Exactly. Um, Also, we were talking about um, earlier, we were talking about making vegetable pancakes. That's another way to make them the star. Um, So doing zucchini pancakes or carrot pancakes. I mean, that's another way to sort of bring them center of the plate. Um, um, Using meat as seasoning. So thinking of meat in a different way where you can use, um, you know, maybe I'll make a black bean chili, for example, with lots of vegetables, but I might put a little bit of, or let's say I make a, uh, I'm going to back up for a second. Let's say I make a, a caldo verde, a nice kale and potato soup. And I'll put just a little bit of chorizo in there. A tiny bit goes a huge long way in terms of bringing flavor, yeah. but it's still making this kale and potato thing the star. Yeah. I think a really good example that is super popularized now, like in Szechuan style cooking, dry pot, dandan noodles, which are super popular traditionally on dandan noodles. The dish is vegetarian or actually vegan, but the topping on it, which is literally a garnish, is pork. It's like this ground, spicy, garlicky pork sort of thing. And to your point, it's almost like a seasoning. And so when I go to restaurants and I ask for like, oh, can you make that without meat? Instead, they'll put like a mushroom, sauteed mushroom, garlic, kind of like similar texture to that pork on top. But it's just a little bit. It's not like the whole dish. It's not like an entire pork dish. It's just a, oh, this was like meant to be like a little zest or bite. Um, 
which I think is like a really good example of what you're referring to, which is, yeah, think of meat as like an additive, not like we need to eat this whole chunk of meat. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So I want to talk about, um, I want to go back to talking about steamed broccoli (laughs) because I actually really love like the crisp simplicity of steamed broccoli when I'm eating a lot of other richer dishes. So if I have a lot of other sauces on the plate, I kind of find the broccoli, a steamed vegetable, almost a refreshing break from the other textures. But I think um, if that's the only way you're ever preparing broccoli, I can see why you'd think, oh boy, that's a big snore. That's boring. So yeah. Uh, so I just wanted to give a little bit of love to steamed vegetables because they 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 have their place in life. But but let's give more love to vegetables in general. And the more love we give to them in the kitchen and pay attention to them from a culinary point of view, the more we're going to enjoy them. They do have their place, just not in my life. And that's okay. <laughs> We've come to a mutual agreement on that, me and steamed broccoli. I do love broccoli in every other form, but... No, but I know what you mean. Yeah. It's just, I also, it's another, it's like a, it's like an upbringing thing too, because like we've never eaten steamed vegetables or if they are, if they're like blanched and steamed, it's like, then they're sauteed with something else. So that texture is totally different. So for me, I'm just like, oh God, like no wonder my friends in school didn't like vegetables because like, you know, their mom and dad are giving them like, I don't know, like whatever, like steamed cauliflower with nothing on it. Like, I don't even want to eat that. Like right. <laughs> and often way overcooked is the problem. So all the yeah. sulfurous compounds that come through and yeah, and you all can't the nutrients over- are depleted. Yeah, you can't have that. Um, the other thing I love about a lot of the cooking from the Indian um heritage is that you're using vegetables as a sauce sometimes. So so for example, in like a chickpea masala, what what uh Chana masala, you know, you're using tomatoes and spinach almost as the sauce. So I think that's really cool too, to think about it like that, that vegetables can be the sauce. I mean, if you just look even at a pesto, for example, you're using herbs, which are basically a vegetable as a sauce. And so also thinking about vegetables in that way as sauces. Yeah. So to that point, I, I try to bring a lot of those elements from my culture to like, you know, Western cooking. And so we have a lot of dishes like balak paneer and um, even dishes where we, yes, we take tomato and we grind them up into a sauce. We'll take um, nuts and grind them up into a sauce. Like, and a lot of Mexican and Latin American cultures do this too. They have one with pumpkin and mole has like 15 ingredients in it, you know? And so it's definitely not just an Indian thing. There's a lot of African cuisines that do it too. Um, but to the point about the pesto, like pesto means to mash, right? It it doesn't mean it's doesn't mean basil, which I'm saying that because so many people are like, oh, pesto means like basil and Parmesan. I'm like, no, it doesn't. Like pesto means to mash. And basil pesto is one of the most popular. But one of my most viral dishes on the internet is taking the concept of what you said, which is taking vegetables and making it into a sauce. Because yes, I love pasta. I grew up on Staten Island. I eat a ton of pasta. I can eat every day. But like the from a nutrient standpoint, like I can't eat basil pesto every day, right? Like it needs something else in there for me to feel okay about eating it. 
So I created a recipe that was a spinach pesto. So it's kind of similar to like an Indian Pollock paneer, but the flavor profile is like totally Italian. So like I put spinach, garlic, lemon. I used almonds instead of pine nuts. That's mainly a preference. I just don't really like pine nuts, olive oil. And I made this like really beautiful sauce. And um, it's, it's like, it has nearly 10 million views, like all over the internet. But the funny, the one comment that people are making, they're like, that's not pesto. Like that doesn't have any basil in it. And I'm like, well, you're missing the point. The point is I'm showcasing how to actually make a vegetable the star in this case, right? In this case, it's spinach, but you can literally put whatever you want. You can put kale, you can arugula. Put- arugula yeah. makes a beautiful pesto. And yeah. I think even Italian people call it a pesto, even if it's not basil. So I don't know, all these people yeah. that are sticklers for quote unquote, authenticism. I don't know. There's no such thing as authentic, really. Yeah, unless like the pasta grannies or whatever, there's that account, the pasta nonas are coming at me then, or pasta queen, like, I, I, you know, I'll change my ways if they come at me, but not just some random. Right, and and you're not even saying to, you're being authentic. You're saying you're just creating something delicious. So, so I'm there for that. And you can find that on your website. Is that right? That recipe? That, yes, that particular recipe. Actually, I don't think it's on my website. It's on uh, my Instagram and TikTok. Okay, it's, well, we'll it's to my profile, so you can't you can't miss it. And just tell us your website so we know um, so we know where to go. But I'll also have a link to it on my website on the podcast page. But just if you say it, so listeners can know right now. It's uh, www.chefpriyanka.com. Great. That's easy enough. And then before we go, I wanted to, and I I have, I feel inspired personally by all of these vegetable star conversations. Um, but I just wanted to talk about the modern Tiffin in case people don't know what a Tiffin is. So explain what a Tiffin is and how is, so how is this a modern Tiffin? <laughs> good question. All good questions. I wish there was a visual to this because I, I have a couple Tiffins I could whip out, but Basically, a tiffin is a steel, traditionally a steel stacked and latched um, carrying container. Uh, It is traditionally used to carry lunch or food for on the go. Um, It's it's like a couple hundred year old tradition in India. And what will happen is there are certain parts of it that I don't agree with, which is the part I'm going to mention now, which is you know, traditionally the man would go to work and then at home there would be the wife or the mom or the grandma or whoever at home that would prepare a fresh meal. They would pack it in this tiffin. And the reason why the design of it is significant to Indian culture is because we tend to eat family style and the dishes are all meant to be like separated, but then eaten together. So, but they shouldn't be combined into one bowl from the get-go. Um, so like you'll have your rice or your chapati, like your roti, you'll have a vegetable dish, and then you'll have a dal, which is like kind of the soupy lentil. So it should all be separated, which is why the design of the tiffin is significant. So they'll cook it, they'll pack it, and then you'll have these tiffin wallas, which are tiffin delivery guys that would come to each of the homes, they'll pick up the tiffins, they'll strap it onto their bikes, and then they'll bike into, you know, downtown or wherever the guys are working, and they'll hand deliver all the tiffins. So it's kind of like, you know, an Uber Eats, uh, the original original Uber Eats. Um, And the reason why this kind of aspect of a tiffin is very significant to me 
is because I uh, grew up taking my lunch every day to school. My mom would pack me and my sister's lunch every day for a couple of reasons. One, uh, because we were vegetarian, the uh, the there was limited availability of vegetarian items at school at the time. Things are very different now, but this is like in the 90s. So there was really nothing available Two, she did not find those lunches to be healthy. And she just like didn't want us eating that food. Um, and three, she would make us um, usually like something Indian inspired. So we would always be like in touch with our culture, even during lunchtime, you know, in the middle of Staten Island, New York. So I grew up taking my lunch every day. I I earned or appreciated it and respected it a lot from that. And then when I graduated college and started working, I actually packed my lunch every day for work for a couple of reasons. One, I was again, vegetarian and then trans- transitioning to vegan. I didn't have many options Two. I really did not want to spend $20 on a salad. Like it was just, and you know, when you're hangry and you want to eat lunch, you're just going out and you're going to get whatever you want to get. And I really didn't want to be in that position. And three, um, it it was more eco-friendly. You know, I would take leftovers from home if I had something from the night before. Um, It it pushes me to use what I already have, which is one of the most eco-friendly things you can do. So I wanted to bring some of that lifestyle to this book and really instill those habits into people because it it shaped a lot of my perspective on the culinary industry and my life. And it also pushes people to cook. And I think cooking for yourself is one of the most um, kind of thoughtful and rewarding things you can do, even if it's like a quick 20 minute meal. And I call it the modern Tiffin because I have used my influence from everywhere that I've traveled and kind of um, like blended it into this idea of a very traditional Tiffin, which is why each chapter uh, focuses on a different place that I've been to in the world. So that's why there's like the Mexican chapter and Italian chapter. So it's all of my, the things that I liked and the things that have influenced influenced my culinary style kind of all packed into one book. That's fabulous. And I love how everything in the book, because to the point of the Tiffin, which is a portable way of eating, right? A portable on-the-go thing. All of the recipes in the book are portable and you explain how to pack them so they would be delicious when you're ready to eat. So I love that too. Um, It's a beautiful book. You're so inspiring. I love your ideas for making vegetables the star. Thanks for this great conversation. And thank Thank you you for joining us. Thank you so much for having me and for for highlighting this topic. I think it's really important for, for people to think about their food differently. So I really appreciate you having me. Great to have you, Priyanka Naik. Take care. See you soon, I hope. Thanks for listening. I hope you come away from this conversation with some practical inspiration for making vegetables the star of the plate. Join me next time for another One Real Good Thing.